I've been talking to you for the past few months on the return of Jesus Christ. And we are now in that portion where we are talking about how we are to concern ourselves and how we are to conduct ourselves in the light of the sure knowledge that he will come. I am utterly and completely convinced that he will come. I believe in the return of Jesus Christ. I don't know when. I can't be one of these who sets the dates, who points at this or that, but I believe it will be very soon. And I believe it is very critical for those of us who are trusting, who are believing, who are putting all of our hope, and I say that sincerely this morning, all of my hope is in Christ Jesus. He is the only answer for this world. All these things that are coming to pass and all the things that will come to pass shortly will strike fear into the hearts of many people and we will wonder even as the earth itself is shaken what is going on. But I believe if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, He will come and redeem and save and set things right in this world. I I believe that with all of my being. I believe He is the one who can And he is the one who will. But in the meantime, we have to ask ourselves, how do we conduct ourselves? Last week we started a few verses earlier and we talked about those three things that the writer encouraged us to do. One is to draw as close to God as possible. To get ourselves as close to his presence as we can. The second is to hold fast to those things which are permanent, which we can depend on, which give us a strong and solid foundation. And the third is to stir one another up, to continually encourage each other, to continually provoke each other to faith and to doing what is right and to doing what is good. Left to our own devices, left to isolation, left to separation, we will inevitably fall. None of us can stand on our own. But isolation and separation is a death sentence for faith. We must be around people. I was speaking with a young woman yesterday, and we were just chatting back and forth. She asked me, what did you, she says, what do you do? And I says, well, I'm a pastor. She says, oh, yes, I used to go to church. Well, you know you recognize the Holy Spirit when you see him, right? You you recognize the opportunity when it's there. And so uh, for about the next 45 minutes, I was just, I was just letting her have it. I, 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 in a very gentle and a very loving and kind way, I was talking to her. She says, I'm a very spiritual person, though. And I says, well, you know, I says, you can't be spiritual in isolation. If you're spiritual in isolation, if, you're, if you look too deep inward, you will, in, you will inevitably fall in on yourself. All your spirituality will be corrupted because it's not been exposed to the, to the, to, to, to the light and to the, uh, to the experience of others. And uh, she, when I left, she was asking me for the address of the church. So keep her in your prayers. Your name is Amber. Keep her in your prayers. I, I'm trusting God she's going to show up here one day. But we have, we have to stir one another up. We've got to encourage each other because this next section tells us what happens if we don't. If we don't draw near to God, if we don't hold fast to those things which which stabilize and secure us and give us a strong foundation. If we don't encourage and stir one another up, what happens? Now there's a verse here that ought to strike fear into the hearts of every person 
this idea of moving beyond the reach of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, moving beyond the, 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 the border where there is no return. Now, I want to speak very plainly to you this morning. I'm not here to threaten or, or, or intimidate. I'm not here to try to scare anybody. But I think it's important that we understand what the Bible warns us against. The warnings of the Bible ought to be taken very seriously. If we believe this to be the Word of God, if we believe the Holy Spirit was speaking through the writer, we ought to take these warnings very, very seriously. Because none of us, the Bible tells us to take heed, he who thinks he stand. None of us ought to be so confident in ourselves. Yes, be confident in God. Yes, be confident in Christ. But to be so confident in yourself that you think you're beyond any sort of compromise or any sort of falling back is a dangerous place to be. We have to consider the warning. And I, I, I've given this some thought, Reverend. I, I, I know this has been a question in the minds of a lot of people, what this willful sin he's talking about is. And, and some people put it very broadly, and, and, and some people put it very narrowly, and some people discount it at all. Say he was simply just talking uh, abstractly, or he was just talking in theory, that there was no reality to it. But I cannot believe that the description he gives of the person he's addressing can apply to anyone else but a blood-bought believer. This is someone who has received the knowledge of the truth, someone who has been illuminated, someone who has suffered on behalf of their faith in Jesus Christ. Someone who was sanctified by the blood of the covenant. Someone who is considered by the Lord one of his people. Now when you put those criteria together, who else could it apply to but the church? There's no other person, there's no other group of people in, in all of creation that those attributes could apply to who has been sanctified by the blood of the covenant, who are his people, who are those who walk in the knowledge of the truth, who are those who are persecuted for their faith. This is God's people. And so this warning is for the church. It's for those who have made a commitment, and yet when the going gets tough, when the price gets higher, when it becomes more and more difficult, and can I just tell you this, the closer that we get, to the actual return of Jesus Christ, the harder and more difficult it's going to become to stay faithful to him. The Bible testifies of that. The good reverend preached it not that long ago, perilous times. These demonic doctrines that have infiltrated every branch of Christianity, these lovers of cells and lovers of money, these blasphemous people, these, 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 these self-indulgent uh, variations of Christianity makes it harder and harder and harder. For the just, just to live by faith. Hallelujah. I remember that, that was one of my favorite sermons. It was preached a long time ago. The just, just live by faith. That statement stuck in my head. The just, just live by faith. Hallelujah. And we have to be aware of the possibility of departing from the faith if we are going to take the necessary safeguards and secure against such an outcome. If, you know, I'm not much of a cruise person. I, I be honest with you, I've never been on a cruise ship in my life. Have no intents or plans to do so. If for some people, God bless you, have a good time. I'm not one to judge. But the idea of being on this 
little boat out in the middle of all that big water does not sit well with me. And I'm called to preach a revival on Carnival America or whatever they're called. Uh, you better believe when I step on board, I'm going to find out where the life rafts are. I'm going to find out where the life jackets are. I'm going to, I'm going to find out where every safety thing is on that boat. And if anything happens, I want to know that's where i got to go. Amen. If we don't take the danger seriously, we never take precaution or preparation for it. And that is the reason for this warning. The writer is not saying, I hope you all fall back and, and, and God judges you all. He's saying if, you, you, if you're going to take the warning seriously, you'll prepare yourself. And so when I give thought to that idea, this, sin, this willful sin that I believe the writer is talking about, I believe it's one of several possibilities, but I think the most likely possibility is to persist in putting off Jesus. To persist in avoiding taking Jesus and taking your faith because of the cost that's associated with it. In other words, when a person comes to Christ, they give their heart, their soul, their life to Him. Their life is, is changed. They're, they become a new creature. And yet that new creature goes back into an old world. Goes back into old environments. And pretty soon they begin to realize that the new person they're trying to be is not compatible with the world they're trying to live in. The new person that they're called to be and the new person that they're created to be is not convenient for the world that they're trying to live in. And so they begin, and I, I know we all like to focus on this forsaking the assembly business. We pastors more so than most. Because let's be honest, we just like to see you in church. We want you to be here. But it goes deeper than that, because this assembly is not just about showing up on Sunday morning, but it's about being, and that, that's a big piece of it. You ought to be here on Sunday morning if you can but it's about being associated with things that pertain to Jesus. How many people go to work or go to school or go out into the world and keep their faith hidden, keep who they are secret, deny even in public to have anything to do with Jesus Christ, even though they themselves claim to be a committed Christian, even though they themselves have experienced the life-changing power of the grace of God, to persist, to willfully continue to act like you're not a Christian, after you've come to Christ, is to court disaster. Now, there could be other explanations for this willful sin, but I'm going to leave it like that. Willfully sinning in denying our faith in Jesus Christ. Willfully sinning in denying any association with the things of Jesus Christ. Willfully sinning in pretending to be something that we are not. And going back, we used to call them backsliders. I know that term has fallen out of favor. We don't, we don't hear much about backsliding anymore. But when I was coming up in the church, backsliding was serious business. It was serious business. To be a backslider was, was a very dangerous position to be in. We'd have regular prayer and intercession for backsliders. We'd have, we'd have regular visits to backsliders to make sure they understand that they were making a choice 
Now today it may not even be because of persecution. You can sin willfully in this out of fear of what people will think that's true, but for other reasons as well. Some actively avoid the things of God be out of convenience. Just out of a, a desire to, 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 to live a more comfortable or convenient life. But whatever the motive is, understand that even though you know and have once believed the truth, if you continue down that road, the sacrifice for sin is voided. The sacrifice for sin is voided. Your name is blotted out of the book of life. You are no longer considered one of those for whom Christ died. Once the sin sacrifice has been removed, there is no other option. We have no other means of being justified except through the blood of Christ. So what is to become of one in whose life that sacrifice for sin has been voided? That one comes under the judgment of God. Now notice the association he makes. It's the same that person will be judged with the same judgment that God will use against his adversaries. Don't miss that point. Some people say, well, you know, I believe God loves me and I believe God loves everybody and I believe when we get before him, he might smack our wrist a little bit. He might slap our hand. He might tap us on the backside and say, shouldn't have done that thing, but it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. But notice the judgment that the one who has turned their back on Jesus Christ is to expect is the same judgment that God has stored up, the fiery indignation that he has stored up for his enemies. To stand before the God of judgment on that day is not to be judged as one of God's friends or one of God's children, but one of God's adversaries. Let that sink in for a moment. What do we do to our enemies? What does a king do when his enemies are before him? What does a judge do when the enemies of his people are before him? Will he not render a wrathful judgment? Will he not condemn those who stand under the condemnation the writer uses the example of the law of Moses, even under the old law. Remember, Christ comes with a new law, with a better way, a new and living way. But even under the old law, one who denied the faith was put to death under the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse, he says, will those who reject Jesus Christ? How much worse will be those who turn their back on Jesus Christ? How much worse will the punishment be for those? And listen to the descriptions he gives. To believe and then draw back from believing. To put your faith in, and this is why we've got to be serious when we make our commitment to Christ. I know these days we're in the business of just trying to get him to repeat the prayer and then we'll count it. But Jesus said, count the cost. Jesus said, if you're not in this for the long haul, don't even go there. It's better for you never to be part of this than to be part of it and give up or draw back or fall short. Here he says those who, who have put their faith in Christ 
and then turn their back on Christ will are, are as those who trample under their feet the Son of God. Think that through. Let that image sit in your mind. They pull Jesus down off the cross and they pummel him and kick him and trample him with the soles of their feet. Those who do such things are those who forsake their faith in Christ, are those who count the blood of Christ as something insignificant, common, and profane. The blood that sanctified them once, the blood that redeemed them once, the blood that delivered them once is now in their eyes. I tell you, this causes me to tremble. I've talked to some people, including those very close to me in my own family, who've strayed away from the faith. And I always ask them the same thing. And they, they talk about the church, and they talk about their this, and they talk about that. And, you know, you've heard all the same excuses. I don't have to go over them. But I always ask them one question. What fault did you find in Jesus? What fault did you find in Jesus? Oh, well, it wasn't, you know, it's not Jesus. It's, it's all the other. No, no, the other things are irrelevant. The other things are irrelevant. Whether you like church, whether you like, whether you were too strict or too loose, that's all irrelevant. The only, we sang it today, did we not? The only thing that matters is Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? Well, I, I, I think, you know, and when you pin them down on that, now you now you you've got them you've got them by the soul. Because here's the testimony they're talking about to have accepted his sacrifice and then to act like his sacrifice means nothing. Is an insult to the spirit of grace. You ever tried to help somebody and done something for somebody? I've had this happen to me in my life. It's usually with money, but there's other ways. I've had people call me up and say, oh, Pastor, I'm in such a bad condition. Can't pay my bills. Don't have anything to eat. And that all, and boy, if you want to get to me, go, go there. You tell me you don't got nothing to eat. I, I, I'll open up the bank accounts. I, I don't let people go hungry. That's, that's just not in my nature. Somebody... Call me up, oh, Pastor, i got nothing to eat. I said, well, you know, if you want to, you can meet me over at the, I'll meet you at the grocery store. We'll get you some groceries this week. We'll get you some milk. He said, no, I can't go right now. Would it be all right if you just sent me the money and I, I go later? Well, oh, that's always a warning sign, but I'm a, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt. And they do. They, and a lot of times they will. They'll, they'll take the money and they will go get something to eat. But then I find out later that the reason they didn't have the money to go get something to eat because they spent all their money doing something else. Or they'll take the gift that was given and they'll use it to do something else. And I'm not, you know, I'm just saying when you insult the spirit of grace, when you don't use, when the blood of Jesus Christ to you becomes so meaningless that you trade your faith in for some common and profane and corrupt pleasure, or it's not even a pleasure. You don't even enjoy it. It's just something to do to be more acceptable to the world. 
One who forsakes Christ insults the spirit of grace by which he was saved. And here, the word gets even stronger. Such a one comes under the vengeance of the Lord himself. Such a one comes under the vengeance of the Lord himself. For it is the Lord who will judge his people. See, that's where we've got to understand what we're talking about. We're not just talking about somebody lost out in the world. This is one of God's people who is part of God's church and part of God's covenant who has now decided they have found something else. Or worse, have found nothing else but just decided that the price is too high. Let me stop here for a moment. Because this is a false argument. In those countries where the price is the highest for following Christ, you find the people of the greatest faith. I think the apostasy, Pastor, of this church in America may be because the price is not high enough. Because we are still living under the impression that we can have the world and Jesus too. Because we're still living under the idea that we can have it all. We can enjoy all of the pleasures of sin and all of the, 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 the benefits of society and still have Christ. Maybe if the price was a little bit higher, people would take their faith a little more seriously. That's just an editorial from my perspective. Let me go back to the Word. There is no greater fear we should have than to fall into the hands of the living God. The one thing that should stop us at the brink of our apostasy is to realize that if we take one more step, we're going to have to deal with God, not the God of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy, the God who has already... We've already blown that. We've, we've already experienced all that. If God's grace isn't enough, what's left? If God's mercy toward you is not enough to keep you centered in Christ, what else is there? Now I have I've had this period I've had these periods in my life where the thing that kept me from falling off and falling away was the fear of being in the hands of the living God. You see, I can, I can, I can, I can get just as dry and, and just as distracted and just as caught up in things as anybody. I'm not immune to that. I go to work every day like, like many of you. I deal with all the same issues you deal with. And it's real easy to forget God when, when everything's going on. But when I find myself on the brink of stepping over a line, the Holy Spirit of God reminds me you might get away with this in the flesh. You might get away with this in this world. You might get away with this as far as your earthly life is concerned, but you're going to have to answer to God. Actually, I had a young man who was doing something he shouldn't have been doing. And he said, and he just went through the whole list. He says, you know what, what does it matter? Nobody cares. Nobody even notices. And I looked him dead in the eye and I said, God notices. And he looked at me, he thought I was joking. You're not supposed to use that kind of language at work. 
And I told him, I said, God sees it. He says, you might get away with it. No one might, it may never catch you. But God noticed it. God saw it. And you're going to have to answer for it one day. And I think I shook him. <laughs> he wasn't expecting that. I think I shook him. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So what are we to do with this warning? This warning that if things get too tight for us, don't turn back from God. This thing, if the world presents a very uh, appealing or attracting delusion, not to turn our back on God. If we get so caught up in our life that we forget God, we're warned, warned, warned. It's a fearful thing to fall in the living God. Here he says, this is the way out, and I would not leave you here without a way out. He says, remember what you've already given up and been through. I'm pleased to say that I've walked with the Lord for the majority of my life. I was brought up in the faith. I rebelled for a season. God in His mercy took me back. And I've done my best to serve Him and walk with Him for the last 35 years of my life. And when I look back at what I've already been through and what I've already endured, it would seem such a waste to give it up now. He says, consider the former days. Consider the former days. Remember what God delivered you from. And you say, well, Pastor, I was never really a bad boy or a bad girl. Okay. Praise God for that. But some of us have been delivered from some things. Recall the former days and what you went through when you came to the Lord for the first time. Having already endured to this point, why would you give it up now? Having already been through this battle, having all, you're bearing the scars. Recall the former days. Recall how faithful God has been to you. Again, I repeat the question. If we were to turn back now, what fault could we possibly have found in Jesus? What excuse could we possibly give? When has God failed you? When has Jesus not been there for you? Second, he says, first he says, recall the former days to prevent this apostasy. Remember where you've come from and what God has already done. The second, he says, look forward to what's waiting. So not only do we look back and see what God has already done for us, we look forward to see what God has prepared for us. Knowing that you have a reward. Knowing that you already have a better inheritance. Knowing that what God has laid up for you is far greater than any benefit or blessing you could receive in this life. Why would you quit now? Hallelujah. I tell you, I, I, I dwell on that sometimes. When it does get difficult, when it is a challenge, when you ask the inevitable question, what is this all for? Why am I doing this? Think about what's waiting. I know 
We've been conditioned these days to say uh, not to think too much uh, about the heavenly rewards because somehow that makes us our, our motives selfish. Let me tell you something. It's all right. It's all right to think about what God has learned, what is promised to you. It's all right. The scriptures testify that we are to look forward to those things that God has laid up for us, that God has stored up for us. That heavenly inheritance, those heavenly blessings, those eternal gifts that are waiting for you. When I was a young man, I didn't give a lot of thought to retirement. I regret that now. If I had started saving when I should have started saving, my goodness, I probably could retire. I could probably have retired now. I try to tell my kids that they don't listen. Why is it kids never listen? I started working full time. I worked for my dad from the time I was about 10 years old. But I mean, full-time, paycheck, W-2, Social Security, you know, all of that stuff, FICA. I don't know who FICA is, but he's always taking my money. Uh, when I meet FICA one day, me and FICA are going to have it out, because that dude is taking a lot of my money. But I started working full-time like that when I was 16 years old, getting that paycheck. And I did the math one time. If I had just put away $20 a week, starting then, and only made 4% interest on it, I'd be a millionaire right now. You talk about wanting to go outside and beat yourself senseless. I want to, sometimes I just want to take myself, you know, my dad used to threaten to take me to the woodshed. Sometimes I want to take myself to the woodshed. I don't know where the woodshed is, but I, I somebody needs, needs, I need to beat myself senseless of being $20 a week. And I could, just, I could just call it right now. Just go preach and do whatever. Travel. I, actually, a million dollars isn't even that much money anymore, is it? I, I might have to go a little while longer. But still, knowing what's laid up for you. But I can tell you this, church. From the moment I put my faith in Jesus Christ, He began to put something aside for me in glory. He began to store up things for me. And I have labored long, and I know my labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I am not about to miss out on what's waiting. One of the benefits of watching this world fall apart is it reminds you that you can't trust anything in this world. You can't put your hope in anything in it. You say, oh, well, the one thing I was told as a young man is property. Buy property. Property always goes up. Till it doesn't. Till the bubble bursts. Or till climate change causes it to go into water or whatever. Whatever happens, something always happens to it. But I tell you, church, what's stored up for me is secure in the presence of Jesus Christ. He says, don't cast away that faith that you have and that confidence you have because in that faith there is great reward. Look back. Look forward. And then he says, pray for endurance. 
Pray for endurance. You are in need of endurance so that you will continue in the will of God so that you can receive the promise. Pray for endurance. I know we all think we're going to make it, but you better pray because you're not going to make it on your own. Pray for endurance. Jesus said, he who endures to the end, he shall be saved. Pray for a spirit of perseverance. You will endure faithfully. Oh, Father, do not let me be counted as one who turned back. Give me the strength to endure so that I may receive that promise that has been given to me. Because the one who is coming is coming soon, he says. Though he carries now. And I'll be honest with you. I, I, this, is, this, is what test, this is what is testing our faith even now. Even today, what's testing your faith. And that's the fact that you've been hearing about the coming of Jesus Christ your whole life. I tell you, can I can I be honest, brutally honest with you for one minute? As a young man, I did the whole thing. I did Hal Lindsey. I did the late great Planet Earth. I did 88 reasons why 88 was the year. I did 89 reasons why 89 was the year. I don't know if they did a 90 reasons why 90 was the year, but if they had, I would have bought the book. I did all of it. I did all the Perry Stones. I did all of the... All of the so-called uh, uh, prophetic teachers. And, 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 and at some point, I got so tired of them being wrong. And don't take that as a shot at any particular person. Just the whole, I'm speaking of the whole industry, the whole business of prophecy. I got so tired of having to buy yet another book to explain why the things that the blasphemy said didn't happen. But this time, Oh, this time we're going to get it right. We missed it last time, but now we know. I went Bible codes and Bible countdowns. I did it all. And somewhere, I don't know, 35, 36, 38, 40, somewhere about there, I said, fully on it all. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. And anybody who tells you any differently is just reaching in your pocketbook. And I put it all in a big box, and I didn't throw it away. It's still in the box. I put it all there, and I said, I said, this is all I need right here. This is it. This book tells me to watch. This book tells me to wait. This tells me, book tells me to be ready and to be prepared at any moment, at any time. And that's how I'm going to go about my business. That's how I'm going to go about my business. I'm just going to be waiting. I don't know if he's coming pre, post, mid, up, down, back. I, I, it doesn't even matter to me anymore. I don't even have those conversations anymore. Because it's all a distraction. It's all just a, an illusion. It's all just profit. And uh, you know, I say profit with the PH and the F. Both kinds of profit. That's all it is. But this much I know. He is coming soon. And if I am to be justified before him on that day, the just must live by faith. We're to be justified. If we're to be justified, we must endure. No one who draws back, no one who backslides, no one who turns having set their hand to the plow will be acceptable in the kingdom of God. 
I pray for you today that you would endure to the end. I pray that we will be of those not who go back to destruction. And let me just say this one more thing. Just in case someone hears me today or later on on the podcast or whenever, and you're thinking about going back, let me tell you what waits for you back. Remember on the old maps, when they get to the edge of what they knew, they just draw these big dragons. And they say, beyond this point, there be dragons. Well, let me tell you something. Going back, there be dragons. Right? Going back, there is only destruction. You've already tried that path and it led nowhere. You already tried to live at peace with the world and it did nothing for you. To go back is death. But to persevere, to believe and keep on believing is the ultimate salvation of the soul. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www. Dot lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue Fort Lauderdale Florida 33312 God bless you until next time this is the Lighthouse Church of God lighting the way through the storms of life <laughs>